the 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 seeds of of that you know that creative getting the mind flowing listening to jazz listening to all kinds of crazy stuff manhattan transfer uh you know the double six these vocal groups and uh from all over the world and the record collection was just like completely uh out there i mean not the normal kind of collection that you'd probably expect Mm-hmm. Uh, from uh, from a family of his generation, so that's 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 where the I suppose the music seed came from, and um, you know he taught me a little bit of guitar, and then I took it in my own direction. And... Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me today is one of my friends from up north. I love when I have Canadians visit me. I was just talking to my new friend, uh, Paul Thibault, and I warned him that usually when I have a Canadian, we go long, and he said that was okay with him. So, Paul, this is where I'm supposed to say thank you, right? Right. <laughs> Welcome to the show, my friend. Jesse, thank you so much for having me on, man. It's an honor. I am really, really happy, and I appreciate your stamp late too, because I know you're a hardworking guy. So, uh, thank you for making the time, man. I really do appreciate it. Well, it is no problem. Uh, we are uh, Ken Rosen is the matchmaker in this uh, discussion. That's true. Yeah, uh, Ken Rosen, a friend of the podcast, who does the amazing, uh, you know, uh, blog, um, had posted a link to a Bruce Springsteen cover you had done on his cover me. Quick anecdote on that. I mean, listen, I'm I'm a small, uh, you know, uh, account, right? I mean, I don't have a ton of followers. And uh, so, I mean, I I care more about, I suppose, just being able to do the content and having fun creating, you know, uh, content that I'm passionate about, rather than really checking out the traffic. And I I noticed by mistake, like, I checked out the analytics of my YouTube channel. So why am I getting so many hits on this Bruce Springsteen cover? So I dug a little deeper and I found out that a link to my video was on his website. And I'm like, that's crazy. So the eStreetShuffle.com was the source of this traffic. And so digging a little deeper and who's this Ken Rosen guy? And then finding out about you with your interview with him. Uh, it was just, it was great. It was, you know, the dominoes are falling and, the, and I, I reached out by doing a small video to say, thank you, Ken. You know, I mean, it was, it was like, I was blown away. I was honored. It was really cool. You know, um, Paul, I've told this story multiple times on the air, but, you know, my wife was like, why are you, why do you want a podcast? Like, what does this, what do you get out of it? And, and um, I told her, I said, do you remember your brother Ralph talking about playing music? And she goes, I don't think so, but maybe remind me. And so her brother is about 10 years older than her. And so he grew up in the, like he, his um, high school days were the sixties. The, right the garage band everyone had a band you played at the cyo the legion hall you know just like bruce talks about you know in his things yeah. and um and you know uh ralph played bands all the way through high school and even part of his college and he said he was talking the other day that this was several years ago he said if i had my way 
me and my buddies would go into a barn on Sunday afternoons and we would just play. Just and we, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't care if there was an audience. We wouldn't care if anyone, but just the joy of playing music together. I would just love. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I do remember that story. I said, well, that's podcasting to me. You know, I, I have a good conversation with someone and if people listen to it, great. I hope they do. But if they don't, I got to spend an hour talking to someone interesting and sharing stories. And she goes, okay, I get it. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Listen, you're such a personable guy. It's obvious, I mean, that people could warm up to you in a heartbeat. Uh, you make people feel comfortable. And I don't even know you. We never met. And I mean, I, yeah. I feel like we could be buds, you know? And so yeah. that's, I think, I think that that's important to, uh, to sort of surround yourself with people that are, that make you feel comfortable, that, that yeah. cheer you on, that support you. And doing that as, as a host, as a podcast host, there's for sure got to be a passion there for you and it, it shows in your work it's it's like it's your art form you know yeah. and uh, I think any artist or creator I mean needs to be able to follow their passions and that's that's kind of hard to do at first a lot of naysayers a lot of negative energy so when you surround yourself with people that you get along with that you uh, are happy with mm -hmm. I can only assume man I mean you meet some pretty cool people doing your show so uh, I mean uh, that's I, that's that's got to pick you up during the on the good days and the bad days right it does and uh, you know it's 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 funny because what led me to that story is you talking about you know you make the content for you right you 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 pick the songs you want to reform and, and we're going to get to a little more specifics but you know you pick the songs you 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 record the video you put out the songs and it's and you were doing this yes you're glad people like it but you know you serve yourself first, right? You're the audience of the first. And, and I think that's great. I'm glad, I'm glad that we are on the same page for that because yeah. uh, the, especially these days, pandemic, right? I mean, uh, yeah. a lot of people are spending uh, maybe more time than they would, maybe more free time, maybe more uh, introspective time, mm -hmm. uh, searching online, finding yeah. new sources of inspiration. And, um, connecting with those people that maybe wouldn't have had the time otherwise to be creators or to yeah. be, you know, content providers. There's more consumers out there looking at people's stuff and listening to music and, and, uh, and just getting inspired. So yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's one of the reasons why we, uh, we got connected Ken or otherwise. It's, uh, yeah. it's a good thing. Definitely. Well, I do. Um, we're, we're going to work on trying to get some video up. Uh, so, people will see both of us but most of the people will just see this audio but I do have to share uh with my audience and I'm going to tell you a story Paul um when you know a couple of years ago Bruce Bruce put out an autobiography and he mentioned that when he got his first success where he really got money and he had paid off some of his debts um he wanted guitars in every room he bought as many guitars as he could find and he put them in every room. And right. I don't know if you've seen any videos from his letter to you, but in his studio, just in the background are just rows of guitars. Well, Paul may have a similar concern because as we're typing, as I'm talking this, uh, yeah, there is, there is guitars all over the wall in the room that he's talking to me. So, um, that's so funny. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't know where that segue was going, but yeah, that's yeah. Uh, it's not. Um, I won't say that I did it because I was inspired by Bruce, yeah. but very similar motivations for that is to say these these guitars can't stay in their cases, right? Uh, and and all of these have very emotional, uh, sentimental value for me uh, for various reasons. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I thought they have to go on display. So it's one of the first things I did when I renovated this project studio is like, I'm, I'm putting them up. They got to go up. There's no doubt about it. It's a great, and in one of Bruce's interviews he was doing for this new album, he did Letter to You. Um, he reached over and he says, oh, this was the guitar I most I wrote most of Nebraska on, you know, and, and he had that history. And um, there's a, there's an out, al- there's a song on his new album, house of a thousand guitars. And uh, it's a good song. It's a great song, but I, I laugh at someone on Twitter said um, when my wife heard the lyrics, house of a thousand guitars, she looked over at me and said, don't get any ideas. <laughs> In my circle of friends, we call that gas. We say, yes. hey, you got gas? It's like, yeah, what is that? Gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. I big, like that big a lot. problem among so many yes. friends that I yes. <laughs> hiding uh, stuff from your better half. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, I in my day job, I am a customer service manager. I, I, I run a call center, and gas to us is give a s uh, we were looking for agents <laughs> that give a, that have gas that give a blank. Um, That's hilarious, man. So uh, before we get onto your background, how are you doing during this pandemic? How, how are you hanging in there? It's, uh, it's great to, uh, to be able to have the opportunity to work uh, during the pandemic. I'm very fortunate and I don't, uh, you know, I don't take that for granted. Every single day I wake up, I'm thankful uh, for my particular situation. So uh, I've managed to, you know, sort of stay employed and work from home. Uh, and that's not the case. A lot of people that are working from home that really just are miserable about that. Um, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm working mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So I got my laptops and my screens, all that set up. It's uh, it's a good situation for me. Thankfully, all my family have been able to uh, stay healthy. My uh, two young girls um, up here in Montreal, we've got, uh, you know, certain regulations. There's a curfew. Uh, after 8 mm-hmm. p.m., you're not allowed to be out at all on the streets. Mm-hmm. They're giving out, you know, $2,000 tickets if they mm-hmm. catch you. I've taken full advantage. I've been working from home since March. Yes. And I've been recording. I've been doing music. I've been, you know, creating videos and content and meeting awesome people, present company included. So I, I, I you know, particularly love this and wish it could mm-hmm. go on forever, despite the fact that because of what's what's causing it, it's, it's so terrible. Yeah. You know, the, um, the, 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 the toll is going up every single day. So it's it's chaos. It's it's cold. It's, it's cold calculated things mm-hmm. that are happening, um, but at the same time, it's creating new opportunities for people. And I think that's just the nature of you know it's uh, it's it's nature of life. Uh, good things come from chaos uh, yeah. as long as it, you know it doesn't last too long. So uh, for me personally, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably one of the the best times that have ever happened to me. Uh, I'm going to be releasing a lot of music. That's Many great. great originals are going to come out of this. A lot of stories um, and. You know, when you when you talk to people to, to, to get them to share about themselves, I feel like that's what I'm getting the chance to do because I'm collaborating with a lot of musicians and a lot of artists nice. that I wouldn't have met otherwise. They're also at home during pandemic. Sure. Like, what the hell else am I going to do? Yeah. Uh, let's write a song. Let's cut an album. Let's do oh, this that's and that. Neat. So um, that's what's happening for me during pandemic. It's, you know, all of the best and all the worst wrapped yeah. up into the same bucket. You know, uh, Paul, I had a little bit of the same thing when middle of March we went into lockdown. I had started a new uh, job in February, and um, so for two months we were locked down. We went back in the office in May, and we've been there ever since. But, um, you know, I started podcasting a lot more, you know, and and my wife always laughs at me. She says, 
I can tell when you're under stress, you do a lot more podcasts, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a way to relieve it stress. And, and so uh, I get that. I get that feeling of, well, you know, creativity and talking to people and, and doing that. So that's great. Um, all right. So I always like to go to the beginning. So Paul, talk about growing up. Where did you grow up at? And was your family musical? Was there a lot of music as you were a kid? I was born in Montreal. I've lived in Montreal my whole life. I haven't had the chance to travel too much, although I have been a few places, uh, you know, throughout my youth and growing up, but primarily a Montreal or Canadian uh, my whole life. My dad was a French Canadian. Um, he was a carpenter. Um, but prior to uh, becoming a father, he was a musician. He was a jazz guitarist. And the uh, the guitars you see, well, your viewers can't see them if they're on the podcast, but I do have, like yeah. you mentioned, those guitars on my wall are inherited from my dad's jazz days. So that's why oh, you very see a couple cool. of those semi-hollow body guitars on there were his outlet, his passion. And he was a very accomplished jazz guitarist um, and then decided to, I suppose, do right what he thought was doing right by his family and become a carpenter. So did he keep his hand in music? Uh, oh. And he, you know, he, he basically gave me the, um, the, the, the seeds of, of that, you know, that creative getting the mind flowing, listening to jazz, listening to all kinds of crazy stuff, Manhattan transfer, uh, you know, the double six, these vocal groups and uh, from all over the world. And the record collection was just like, completely uh, out there. I mean, not the normal kind of collection that you'd probably expect mm-hmm. uh, from, uh, from a family of his generation. So that's, that's, that's where the, I suppose the music seed came from. And, um, you know, he taught me a little bit of guitar and then I took it in my own direction. And of course, you know, went on from there, started doing cover bands and whatnot. Did, did you embrace the music that he was sharing with you or did you 100%. have a, yeah, okay, you didn't have, did you, you did not have a rebel phase where you went to find your own uh, kind of music or voice? Well, Jesse, it's like I tell my girls every day. I said, when I grow up one day, I'm going to have this all sorted out. And they just laugh and they yeah. agree. They're like, yeah, you, yeah, you're just a big kid, Dad, uh, which is so true. Um, the, uh, the music that he was introducing me to was, it, it was indirectly because what would happen is that I worked with my dad when I was a kid because we had a you know a family company, family business, the construction business, um, and so we'd come back from a, a long day or a long week or weekend, and we, we'd work you know a lot of overtime sometimes to make, to make ends meet. And what would happen is that at the end of the day, you know, the, the meal is long done, and uh, and uh, have a have a beer, a glass of wine, and then from the basement would sort of linger this this slowly increasing volume of beautiful jazz guitar just you know creeping up from the basement and we'd all we'd listen my mom and I said oh yeah he's playing such and such song you know or oh he's doing the standards or he's practicing a new riff so I'd creep down there and I'd sort of just watch him play and he'd just have a sort of knowing smile on his face and he'd do his thing and every once in a while he'd throw me a couple of chords you know what a major seventh is you know you, you, you ever seen this and then he'd go back to his thing so I, I had the chance to sort of absorb as much or as little of it as I wanted and he never forced it on me but it just it came you know naturally I, I couldn't help but uh, just be fascinated by this incredible talent and also listening to those moments being sort it was very it was sort of you know like uh, anticlimactic because I always thought he's such a great guitarist he could have been he could have been you know yeah. like a great himself 
but it just, I don't know. He, um, it didn't, it wasn't in the cards for him. So yeah. I kind of feel when I hang these guitars on my wall, like is a little bit of a legacy that I'm carrying on and, and sort of trying to not make that same mistake because even though he was a great man, he's still my hero for me. And he's long passed away since the year 2000, he, he passed on, but I still every day think, yeah, uh, you know, a little bit of what I do is for the old man. Right. That's nice. I like that. Um, you know, a couple of things. One, my dad played the guitar too. And um, I, there, I like all of us, I have regrets, right? But I often think that if I could go back in time, I would whisper to that 10, 11, 12 year old Jesse that, you know, go to your dad and say, hey, show me how to play the guitar. You know, yeah. use that to bond. But I, I, was, I was a kid who loved reading you know, uh, into comic books and sci-fi and while I liked music, I never really thought about the guitar, you know, um, the few times I tried your fingers hurt because, you know, it's metal (laughs) strings back then. And, and I, I think back that if I had shown a little more interest, he probably would have been more, he would have been patient and worked with me and we could have bound, bound on that. So I'm glad that you have that memory with you and your father. That's, that's beautiful. Well, I mean, listen, you know, for, for the record, I mean, like uh, you talked about uh, having a, uh, being preoccupied with, uh, with, with sci-fi and whatnot. I'm also a huge Trekkie. I mean, Trekker, yeah. Trekkie, there's a lot of schools of thought there, yeah. depending on uh, who you're talking to. Uh, I know every episode by heart and uh, Next Generation, Voyager, all of that. I mean, I yeah. also had this huge distraction of, yeah. you know, uh, role-playing games and video games and, uh, and for many years in my life, I was a video game producer. I worked for an independent game developer and I had to give up the music. And at, mm-hmm. at that moment where I was at my busiest uh, and I had a team of developers and we were sort of, you know, working, I'd keep them late and we were working seven nights a week. And mm-hmm. But I thought, am I missing out on the music? Am I supposed to be doing music? Even then, I mean, it, it was more than a distraction. It was a huge passion. It was a huge yeah. passion. I still got the video game boxes. I mean, remember when they used to sell them in the big yes, boxes? Yes, I still get a bunch of them. My little medals of honor, you know, I worked on this one. Yes. On this or whatever. And at that time, when I was probably at my happiest career-wise, because it was such a fun job, I always thought to myself, should I be doing more music? And just a quick anecdote. There was this fellow that I used to play many, many years ago in a disco band with. Uh, shout out to a buddy of mine named Steve Bucci. He's probably not going to watch this because he's not online, but... One of the best R&B disco funk drummers mm-hmm. uh, in all of Montreal. And he's still plays to this day. I mean, uh, uh, wrinkles and age aside, he still plays like he's a kid. And he used to call me during those days. And he'd call me up and say, hey, Thibaut, yeah, you're busy, eh? You're working hard, yeah, yeah. You know what? We miss you, man. The music business misses you. And he was always there shouting it out, just calling it out to say, just to poke me. And it's like, don't forget, man. We're musicians and we're here and we, we want you back. And I'm oh, like, wow, lovely. I don't know what to do, man. I don't know what to do. And eventually, I, I mean, I never I never went back during those days, but mm-hmm. uh, I did reconnect with him at one point. And sure enough, he, he is. The what made me think of a story, uh, once again, my brother. My brother-in-law Ralph told the story that um, a couple of the people he were in band with continued playing, and so they would do, you know, cover bands, you know, weddings, 
you know, high school, you know, high school reunions, different things. And it worked out where they're like, Hey, we need a drummer. Do you want to come play with us? You know? And Ralph's like, yeah, yeah, I would. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and there were a couple of things they'd start talking and Ralph would be like, just tell me how it goes. <laughs> you know, like, but he said it was the weirdest thing because he had only ever played in a band with buddies and like all of a sudden it was a job to them like okay let's set up then after the gig okay let's break down and go because i gotta go home to my kids and he was used to you know all his buddies it was a social event and oh yeah we may have made 50 bucks but that wasn't the deal the really deal was just being to play with your buddies by the way fun story um ralph says this this day um my father-in-law, my wife's uh, dad and Ralph's dad <laughs> made him file taxes <laughs> on the bucks he made as a high school band. He said, I'm the only kid in America that <laughs> was kidding. reporting to my taxes the 50 oh, bucks man. I made at a gig. <laughs> so that's a, that's a book right there. That's, right, that's right. so honorable. That's rare. It, yes, yes. He said that was, yeah, Ray Carroll. Uh, and, and Ray would go and, and he worked the lights for him. And, and so that was great. Man, if you went, would have mentioned social insurance number, right? I mean, uh, yeah. to any musician, by the whoa, like they scout. No, exactly, right. <laughs> no, I don't want the gig, man. Sorry, no, I'll, no, no, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> so um, when you, so you're getting, you're getting in your teenage years, you're getting in high school. What what music started speaking to you? What kind of? I, uh, I always uh, loved the drums. And uh, in my head, when I was a kid, I was 14, 15 year old kid. Um, and I had learned a little bit of guitar and always had some guitars lying around. So it was kind of easy to pick up. But I had this thing. I'd always be drumming out a beat with my fingers. And I thought, I gotta, I gotta get this out of my system. There's something here. Now, I don't know if I'm gonna be any good at it. So I used to rent drum kits from our local music store, and uh, I was still living with my folks back then. Of course, I was a teenager and uh, working for the family business. So I, I'd come home every once in a while with this drum set, rent it for uh, a day, and then it became a weekend, and then I rent them for a month. And uh, thankfully, you know, my parents didn't shoot me. I mean, they said, yeah. "Okay, all right." So it's, it's a weekend, right? Like, yeah, yeah, boom, bah, boom. And I always thought, oh, you know, I'm going to be a drummer. I'm going to keep practicing this. I save up my money and buy the kit. And one day I'm bringing back the, the rental drum kit to my local music store. And I see a little paper on the counter, you know, band seeking, yeah. right? And it said band seeking singer. And at one of these, you know, ad hoc rehearsals, if you want to call it, I had invited just a couple of local dudes. It's like, hey, do you, you, yeah, do you own a guitar? Not do you play. Do you own a guitar? <laughs> Do you own a bass? Yeah, I think my dad has a bird. You know, my brother, he'll, I'll bar I won't tell him. I'll just bring it over, you know. And someone wanted to do Zeppelin. And the guy who owned the microphone never showed up. And I had this crappy, you know, sort of Radio Shack mic or whatever. Back in the day, Radio Shack. Yeah. And they said, why don't you sing? I'm like, oh, I can't sing. What are you talking about? So I started singing the Zeppelin. And it was rock and roll, right? And I didn't know I had the falsetto to get up there. And the guys are like, it's, it's the first time someone gets up and claps for you. You never forget that, right? It's such an amazing feeling. And that's, they weren't clapping, but they were saying, whoa, dude, forget the drums, man. You should sing. I'm like, really? So, of course, you know, young, 
influence, <laughs> easily influenced teenager. Like, yeah, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do singing. And so when I brought back the drum kit, and I saw the ad that said band looking for singer. I called him up and there was this fellow from the other end of town, East end of, of town. And the way Montreal works, it's, it's, you know, it's an Island uh, that uh, as the West end, if you want, is sort of like the residential uh, bedroom community. And then the East End is the, you know, the, the gritty urban, you know, lots of different cultural influences, lots of Italians and Hungarians and Greeks and really passionate people. And so this is where the ad was from. This fellow, Steve, had come all the way from the East End to the West Island of Montreal, put a tag on a music store thinking, I'm going to find this this guy, this this uh, English singer from uh, West Island, he's going to come and sing for my band. And sure enough, that's what I did. And I ended up going every four nights a week, driving to the East End, learning how to swear in Italian, how to eat prosciutto, uh, how, to <laughs> how to dry up tomatoes and make homemade wine. And that's where it all started. I was a singer from that point on. And it just never stopped, never looked back. That is great. So um, you mentioned about your, you know, your, your day job started taking over, right? You're doing programming, you're working on games. Did you every once in a while bring the guitar out and play a gig with some buddies on a weekend? Or was it almost you, you flipped a switch, you were focused on this and just missing the music? There, it was a sort of a, an interesting, I guess, um, chain of events that happened. Um, and the family business had, uh, done well enough that construction we were doing we were doing great we were very busy uh, I had just started to play music and just a twist of fate the construction industry in in our region at that time this is we're talking about 90s and so uh, it the, the industry tanked and my daddy had you know no choice he came up and said I you know a frank conversation with you man uh, I can't afford to, to keep you on you're gonna have to go and get yourself some other work and uh, you know uh, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. And so um, I stayed on working for him every once in a while, but I had to go and find work somewhere else. And through a series of crappy, crappy jobs and not really sure if I wanted to stay in construction anyhow, uh, although it was great experience, I thought, what am I going to do if I'm going to make a living? I got to be able to afford to pay for guitar strings and drumsticks sure, and all these yes. things that I love. So what am I going to do? So eventually ended up going back to school to learn how to, you know, technology, computer programming and whatnot. And that's what got me into the video game industry. But I always had a connection with the music. And because I was, I'm a passionate French Canadian and uh, I don't always follow my brain. I usually follow my heart jumping in before I think about it. And I didn't really think about how consuming my job would be when I found a job that I love. And that's why I mentioned my buddy, Steve Bucci, calling me, hey, man, yeah. don't forget, don't forget. And yeah. it was that that sort of reminder and watching my professional surroundings become so just crazy that I realized that I was on the verge of a professional burnout. Sure enough, that's what happened. I, I had to take a break. I had to take a step back from all of that. And uh, even though it was my dream career, so I thought I had to, I had to stop. And it was that all of that crazy sort of crescendo events that in, I would say the early 2000s, 2003 or so, that's when I'm like, I have to double down and make music a real significant part of my life. And similar to what I'm doing now, 
the guitars came out and on the uh, it's the same hooks actually that mm-hmm. i kept from those yeah. days i bought them so that i could put them on the wall and have a guitar in every room and that's exactly what i did i started uh, my own company i did a little multimedia production company where i was still connected to the video game industry i was doing voiceover recording and localization work and translation services for international video game developers that wanted to distribute their products in north america so i had a, a had a nice little niche going and it was pretty lucrative stuff and i managed to travel a little bit with that as well until i started to realize like oh i'm accumulating microphones and recording equipment here and and it transitioned it became a project studio and that's where my real music career, if you want to call it, sort of took a, a, a very positive turn. And then um, I fell in love and had. I chose the it's not the right path. I'm, I'm doing the quote marks in the air yeah. for your audio viewers. The right path. I thought, oh, I got to I got to leave the music. I got to do the job, pay the rent and do do that for for my kids it has turned out for the best because that has led me to where i am today i'm a system administrator for a large group uh, company and uh you know is is it my passionate job definitely not but you know you do things you suck it up you're a family man you're a dad you get it uh you do what you have to do and doing the work never been afraid of doing the work but finding that balance of work and passion and i just i i am i am i uh, doing the same thing as my dad and so many other artists and creators that like you know leaving their passion to do what they think is right i don't know man it's just uh it, it's taken me a long time to figure out that you gotta you gotta it's it's a responsibility i think and i when i accepted the responsibility of being a musician and forcing myself to work hard at sharing my creativity and passion with others, whether they're artists or not. That's when I really started to make sense. And like I told my kids, one day I'm going to grow up and figure it all out. It's, it's going to happen probably when I'm 136. So, you know, Paul, I, I have a good friend whose name Sarah Hickman and she's now retired from the music industry, but when she was young and starting out, um, you know, she quit her day job because she was focused, I'm just going to do music. And she ended up getting signed with Elektra, had an album, a couple albums, didn't do as well. But she's ended up uh, easy a dozen albums from different, she's, you know, produced her music and she's had a good career. You know, she talked about, she was Texas Musician of the Year a few years ago. And, and so she's, she's done well. But back in those early days, you know, she'd talk about... She had the money for her to pay the the electricity bill, so she just went four days without electricity. Yeah, you know, yeah. she just because she was committed, and um, I often think about that. Um, when is when are you? What's the difference between passion and believing in the dream, or pursuing something that you need to let go? Yeah. Right, like, and 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 I think. It, I think only you have to decide that yourself, right? And um, and it does matter when when you um, when when you're married, or even after you're married, and you have kids, you know, and and you're part of you're helping to raise them, and you know the the responsibility of 
being not only financially, but a good role model and teaching kids, but you also don't want to teach the kids giving up your dreams, right, and go safe. And so um, I think that's all just part of what makes life hard and interesting, you know? I agree. You know, I mean, uh, to that note, I mean, uh, there's, you know, my, um, the, the, the mother of my children and I are separated now. And, but the thing is that we're best friends. We're yeah. best buddies. And we are, we didn't know how it was going to turn out when we parted ways, you know, um, it's been a while now. It's been almost uh, two years now. We had no idea what to expect because there were so many emotions at the time. We were uh, at a point where we were sort of living in a multi-generational home. We had taken in uh, some of our elderly family members to live with us. And uh, so splitting up meant not only just her and I moving apart to different addresses, and breaking it to our kids, that was such a fucking heartbreaking moment. Telling the kids they're crying and it's just it was horrendous experience. But and then we had to tell you know, grandma and uh, and great aunt, sorry, this beautiful multi generational home with your walkout backyard is bye bye. I mean, this is this was the reality of our situation. We knew we had to break all of that wasn't easy and we had to choose the hard path because we knew we didn't want to continue showing our kids that it's okay to stay in different bedrooms and to sort of tolerate this elephant in the room every single day we wanted to teach them that everyone deserves to be happy we didn't fight we, we were, were i mean fortunate or not oh, fortunate is the right word we we did what was right for us i guess first but also for everybody else around us because everyone was miserable everyone in the whole family was yeah. just like wow this is this is life and we had to show them like no and after a year of recovery and all that we you know they came over for for christmas dinner the whole gang we had the best time we celebrate birthdays together we do we, we take the co-parenting very seriously my oldest daughter is type one diabetes, juvenile diabetes. We did a fundraiser together. The mom ran like 80 kilometers on her treadmill to raise wow. money. Uh, I was out there pushing the promotion, you know, like we, we support each other and we do what, what we have to do. But getting to that point where you're about to make the decision to basically F up everyone's life. It's, you know, I mean, and we're not the only ones to do it. We're not yeah. great because we did it. I just think that more people need to be honest about, paying attention to what makes them happy or if it's the starting off with paying attention to what's making you miserable and understanding mm -hmm. why, and then finding out what's going to make you happy. But it all comes as soon as you make the hard decision and it's all about truth. You if know, you're being honest, then that misery never happens. You know, one of my best friends um, had been married multiple years and, uh, they had two sons, both um, intellectually, like one of them very autistic, one of them only mildly autistic. So two special needs sons, two, you know, years of financial stress. And so um, they reached the point where, you know, she said to him, I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. And I think we need to, um, I think we need to end the marriage. And you know, he said, okay, I, I agree. I, I'm, you know, and uh, he, he had talked to me, he says, you know, I'm, I was willing to do counseling, but when she said that I knew she was right. Yeah. So, um, 
and like a year later it was christmas and he was there with his new girlfriend um who later became his wife her kids their kids together his ex-wife her new husband and his kids all on one pew at church that's awesome right and and when um and when she got married um you know they were there at the wedding because you know and uh his new wife and his old wife talk about we're sisters (laughs) you know we we just you know and and i think that's that's the way it should be it isn't always the way it is and i know that but but that is what the goal should be um you know because happily ever after means different things i was just thinking and i talked about this on twitter someone asked me um about the river and i'm gonna get this wrong but he said um the line and i think uh tan and wet down at the reservoir and someone says are they talking about the river or her body is wet and i said well i think it's both but i said i'm going to ask you the question again do you think the couple in the river in the song would they say it's a good marriage now in reality bruce wrote this song for his sister his sister is still married to the guy who got her pregnant they have had a very successful marriage and happy marriage and i said do you think the couple in the song if you ask them was it a good marriage and my answer is probably yes it isn't exactly what he thought it would be and it isn't exactly what she thought it would be but they're still together they're still making it work um so i i think happily ever after is different for everyone agreed agreed 100 percent. and the um i mean listen you, the 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 whole notion of happiness everyone's got different varying degrees of what makes them happy. And it's, if it's something, you know, people talk about how in a relationship, whether it's a marriage or otherwise, it, it often comes down to what can one do for the other every day, every single yeah. day. And I mean, sometimes you don't always know what you, what you bring to a relationship until shit happens, you know, things, things break and things go wrong until you realize, oh, here, I, I have this tool set that I didn't know about, you know, right. uh, to be able to, to help someone recover from something traumatic, or if, you know, uh, you're talking about uh, parents of autistic children. I mean, there's so many different things that we don't know that we're built for something until maybe it happens. And then we're like, oh yeah, this is, this is my, this is my lot. I have to, I have to take this responsibility and, and take care of this. And maybe, you know, that doesn't bring happiness, but the constant struggle of meeting those responsibilities and, and finally resolving it and coming. I have a close friend of mine, Enzo, uh, is one of my musical buddies uh, who um, has an autistic child. And we've reconnected in the past few years musically, and we're collaborating as well. And he is probably one of the strongest guys I've ever met because he's just constantly there and his wife and they are making it so just uh, as easy as possible for this teenage autistic boy to be safe, comfortable and happy uh, despite all of the challenges. And I mean, anyone that's ever dealt with the, the world of autism knows that it's challenging for every single person involved. And I see on, on, uh, in their, and they're what they're willing to share with the world on Facebook and whatnot. I see mm-hmm. that there he is. 
you know, the, the autistic teenager playing music and smiling, or he's enjoying a meal and hugging his little brother. And that's because of 15 years of freaking hard work. Yes. Does that, was the challenge making them happy? No way. But watching that, that's, that's a different form of happiness. Now to switch it over, I want to talk about a couple of friends of mine who are huge Bruce Springsteen fans. So okay. when I got married, the, uh, the best man at my wedding was a fellow named Tom. And Tom okay. uh, and I grew up, we've been friends since uh, beginning of high school, middle school, right? So we, uh, we grew up together. We know everything about each other. And we're the type of friends that we don't have to stay in touch to, to check on each other every day. We don't have to talk right. for a year and a half and go by and we could just, you know, jump into a bottle of scotch and catch up and have the yes. best time ever. Um, and he's been happily married, you know, forever, forever. And there was a time in his life when he started talking to me about Bruce. And I'm like, well, yeah, I like Bruce Springsteen. He goes, no, no, no. I'm talking about you got to come to see a show. This is This is like... It's religion, man. And I'm like, okay, Tom, listen, I, I know you. You know me, buddy. Come on. It's good, right? But yeah, how good is he? Goes, oh, tailgate parties. I'm going to another show. This is my fifth show this year. This is crazy. I'm going with my three brother-in-laws. We're, we're doing it, man. We're going down to the, the next show. Is, did, you, want, you want to come? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And there's a man who I respect enormously. He is such a huge, huge family guy and uh, upstanding person and He's a teacher and I just have so much respect for him. And he was the one who got me into single malt whiskey and Bruce Springsteen. And I was like, what the hell? I don't get it. I don't get, this is when I was younger and he was starting to yeah. go to all these shows. And I'm like, I don't get it. What is, what is it that, that draws you? At this point I had, uh, I had, you know, pretty much gotten back into music on a very regular basis. I was playing four or five nights a week in cover bands and I told the boys, I said, we, we got to do more Bruce. Tom likes Bruce. Tom's been one of my biggest fans ever since we were kids. We got to yeah. do some more Bruce. Like, just throw it in the set list. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, we were doing hundreds of different songs from all different genres. So, you know, I mean, uh, Hungry Heart and all these things started to creep in. The typical cover songs sure. that you get involved with. And I might be skipping ahead here. I'm totally messing no, up. No, yeah, you're good. Part. No, no, you're he great. You told me about, you know, you said, uh, listen to the song Thunder Road. Yeah. Uh, read the lyrics, answer the question. Right. Does Mary get in the car? Right. And when I saw this question, and I'm sorry to, you know, to, to jump to the, to the end, if you were no, saying no, that, okay. but you talked about the river and I, I'm like, yeah. I got to talk about this. Thunder Road is probably one of the songs by Bruce that I know the best. And the reason is because of Tom, we, we added this to the set list. Cause he came up to me when he came to all my shows, whenever he could. Yeah. And he came up to me when he goes, you got to do Thunder Road, man do thunder road for me and he had a look in his eye that i've been to the shows i've been yeah in front of the man and you tebow have to do thunder road like, all right man done so the next show we did a half-ass version because it wasn't great it wasn't very well rehearsed and uh our bands at one point we were doing a lot of Irish pubs. Like, I mean, this kind of gig where yeah. you're, you're, you're stripping down the band to the bare bones. We had a right. percussionist on djembe drum. Uh, my main guitarist, guy, a fellow named Zoe, uh, and myself. That was it. Just three guys. So a, a percussive drum, an acoustic guitar, and I played a little bit of rhythm, but I was the vocalist, right? And we would save Thunder Road for the finale of almost every one of our good shows when the people right. were out and there was a, a vibe in the room. 
and we'd save that. And the funniest thing would happen every single time, every single time we played that, there were sort of two different kinds of listeners. Uh, the ones that didn't know Bruce, they'd start off listening like, what is that's not Freebird. What is this? This is not, yeah. you know, Almond Brothers. What is this? And as it would go, it would progress. You'd see, and they'd be looking around at these other half of the room, your landscapers and your construction guys and your hard work. And they come in as 10 really soft spoken and just have passionate about it. And they're into it. And at the end of the song, they're standing. It's the first time they've been standing all night and they're just, you know, practically yeah. tears in their eyes. And that was when I understood, like, yeah, it's 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 not just about the song. It's about like, there's so much about him, about his story, and his music, and all the things that happen. It's truly one of the most incredible experiences ever. So I have Tom to thank for meeting you, pretty much, because that's yeah. the way that the whole now, trail went. Did you ever go see him and perform? I never got to see him live. I never got wow. to see him live. And I say got to, not because it's like, I, I just would have wished that I would have seen him when I'm watching the videos yeah. and I see young Bruce. So I never yeah. got to see young Bruce. And so I'm, I'm catching up, catching up after years of missed opportunities. And that's one of the reasons why I did the cover. And I didn't want to do an obvious cover. That's why I did New York City Serenade. Because I, I don't want to do, you know, like another version of, uh, Every other song has been so, done. In yeah, so you're you're already started, but go down the path right now. Back up just a little bit. You're, when did you decide to start a YouTube channel, and and what was your thought process when you started doing this? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so when my ex and I were living in this multi generational home, uh, having a blast. I mean, we were sort of living in this great big house in the West Island of Montreal and uh, taking care of some old people, raising some kids for all intents and purposes. Life was awesome. Life was perfect. Right. And the beginnings of things just are sort of not feeling quite, quite right, but we, we weren't onto it yet. We were still just, you know, going day by day. And I thought, I want to, I want to do a YouTube channel. And they all thought it was crazy, but very supportive. And, uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do a cooking channel. I'm going to do, I'm going to cook on YouTube. So I did that and it had some moderate success and I got some followers and, and it was sort of like a, a stepping stone. It was a segue. Cause I thought, well, what if I, you know, do the same thing, but for music. And I was still in my head, I had given up on doing the bands and I wasn't doing live shows anymore, but I had all the gear. And I thought, what if I did a, a music thing. And I was so uncertain of myself as an artist that it showed when I would do videos about music. So I stuck mm -hmm. to the cooking. I was really good at that. And I was getting lots of hits and lots of views. I'm like, Oh, I'll do another recipe and this and that and uh, allergen friendly. And I was getting into all kinds of niche stuff. And then it occurred to me, like, I gotta, I gotta really just think about this here. I'm spending lots of money on ingredients. I'm spending tons of time making videos. I'm getting tired and I had had a burnout. So I knew yeah. the, 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 the warning signs to watch out for. Of course, I'm still doing my day job and all that. And I was becoming a content creator. I'm like, Oh no, this is, I don't want to burn out because of fucking YouTube. You know what I mean? Like that's not the way it's yeah. going to happen. Um, so I told myself, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do something that I'm passionate about. And then the breakup happened. So took a hiatus from any kind of online content and when I got this new place and we had discovered that we could be excellent co-parents 
and still raise a family and happy and healthy and all that, I had some time for me. I had some time to think about, oh, how am I going to spend my free time? I renovated the hell out of this place um, and made a project studio. The first thing I did is I cut a hole in the in the wall between the two uh, basement storage rooms. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the sound room. That's going to be the master desk. I, It's like the whole experience of my life had finally come full circle. Yeah, because you'd worked construction, right? As a kid, you'd work construction. So you knew that you knew, you know, so you're like, okay, I I know what I need to do. And so good. Okay. That's cool. And that's where the YouTube channel for, for Tebow vision. And I was torn because I thought I had done so many brands, you know, I'm I'm the kind of guy where if I have an idea, I make a website and a YouTube channel and an Instagram account and I'm on it. But had five or six of those going and I'm like how do I consolidate that and I mean I, I, I stumbled on uh, a Gary Vaynerchuk Gary V video and mm-hmm. he spoke to me very much like directly to me even though I mean you know it was just a, some random video about you gotta don't listen to negativity get out there do your content and I took it to heart and I'm like what he's onto something and that's when I realized I can be Tebow and record my music, cook if I want to, play video games yeah. if I want to, talk about co-parenting and, you know, people struggling with divorce and separation if I want to, talk about my friends who have uh, autistic kids if I want to, talk about Bruce Springsteen if I want to. And right. it all occurred to me that just instead of doing Tebow music, Tebow cooking, just Tebow vision. And that's why Tebow vision is is called what it is. That's the brand that I went with. I love that. It's, you know, when I decided to get back in shape too and start running, I didn't want to have to have a separate channel to show right. people that you can get off your ass and go run if you want to or not. It's okay. Right. Don't beat yourself up basically is what it's all about. And so I go out and I run and I tell jokes and I do mm-hmm. dad jokes on Tebow Vision. So it's not just a music channel. It's really, it's mostly yeah. about my music, but there's That's a lot nice. going on. And I just want to share myself and be who I am without feeling like I have to be a certain flavor of what I'm passionate about. It's just, everything goes. Well, you know, I'm going to go back to uh, New York Serenade in a minute, but one of the nicest compliments I got a few months ago is someone who is a regular listener to my Doctor Who podcast um, said, um, I kept picking at him. I'm like, you never listen to Seth St. Bruce because I'm not really a Bruce Springsteen fan. I'm like, oh, you should join me anyway. And he says, oh, okay, well, let me listen to a couple episodes. And he yeah. came back and he said, I don't know if your podcast is about Bruce Springsteen <laughs> or is it more just, or is it just you, a, a, a podcast where the host loves Springsteen and he just likes talking to people. And, and I, I said, that. you know, I'll do that because when I'm looking for guests, I'll say, yes, it's a Bruce Springsteen podcast. But if you're passionate about the Bee Gees, if you're passionate about right. soul music, if you have a book to produce, if you're a musician, you know, um, I, I just want to have you on the show because I love talking to people. So I, I love that. And, and, you know, if I thought back, you know, maybe I'd find a different, more general, you know, um, title for the podcast. Uh, so, um, well, that'd be a fun episode one day. If ever you want to do an episode just on branding and people's yes. thoughts of branding, you got to yeah, get some can... people more knowledgeable than me, yes. but I would yeah, love yeah. to be part of that show. That would yeah, be that would be very interesting. You're right. Um, all right. So 
um, you've done different covers and you've, so go through your process and you, you said you knew you wanted to do a Bruce cover. I'll take it from there. Go from there. Well, okay. I mean, I, I did when, when Tebow vision was up and running and I, I realized that I was on to finally the, the final brand I will ever own. I don't have to change next month or next year and become something yeah. different. It's just me. And, it, and being honest about who I was or am, was tough. Like I, yeah. I, I, I suppose that I started off doing videos thinking it has to be perfect. And I got to, you know, even whether it was cooking or music or anything, I'm like, it has to be perfect. And I would redo takes just so that it wasn't mm-hmm. like, I didn't stutter. Or I didn't say you know the wrong word or it's, it's okay to make mistakes. And that's when it started to like, Oh yeah. I, I was worried about doing covers of anybody because it wasn't going to be perfect. Right. So when I got over that, I got over myself and I'm like, come on, Debo, just do the cover, man. You did covers yeah. for 20 years. Like what the hell's wrong? Right. Now you're not going to do it on video. Like, I mean, you can yeah. reach so many more people, you know, from all over the world, just do it. So that struggle of me, myself and I finally came to a head when I did um, an Eagles cover, take it easy. And it immediately got copyright blacklisted on my YouTube channel. I got a copyright strike. And I'm like, Oh no. And it was an epic version. It was like, good. And I'm like, oh, so I took it down, of course, because I don't want to get in the, in the bad yeah. with YouTube. And I talked to some friends and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don Henley, man, he's got a whole team of people that are just constantly roving the internet to make sure that there's no, you know, illegitimate covers of his stuff. And I'm like, is that true? And sure enough, I found out that it was. I, I was watching a Rick Beato video. He's a, he's a fellow on YouTube who's a, a very experienced music uh, producer. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a lot to learn from him and it happened in one of his videos where he mentioned that. And I'm like, it's true. It's not me. It's not like if I do every cover is going to get blacklisted. And that's when I started thinking, well, if I do slightly more obscure covers, it was self-serving at first. I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this song by Tom Petty, this song by, you know, Towns Van Zant or, uh, like weird stuff and i'm like and i i kept coming back to bruce i'm like no i don't i'm not ready i'm not ready to pick the bruce song like even though i was being honest and just like out there and putting it out whether it sucked or it was good i'm like no i still have some reverence for bruce i gotta pick the right song what's it gonna be Fuck, i don't know what to do and then i i went like i spent a whole night just listening to bruce and of course that night because how can you not be in a good mood just listening to right video after video of this epic guy and that's when i heard new york city serenade and i had heard it before but i didn't really listen and i'm like this is great this is this is the one i'm gonna do this song and regardless of the tempo change and all that because if you're a recording guy click track right it's got to be and you got to be able to know the chords and all this stuff a lot of little rules that you make for yourself before jumping into a song and i'm like you know what screw it i gotta I got to pay tribute. And that's what these covers are. It's my way of paying tribute to these epic songwriters. And I always put that hashtag in there, epic songwriter. I don't care if it's a popular hashtag or not. It's just because that's what it is to me. Yeah. These are epic songwriters that need to be like paid tribute to in a, in a way, as opposed to just covering uh, a popular song. And I, I try and avoid the most popular ones, but sometimes it's, it's, the, the temptation's too strong. You just got to do it. I've played sure. all these covers live. So, I mean, I, yeah, I don't worry about learning them or worried about, you know, performing them. It's just, 
I want to pay tribute to the right people and the right songs in their repertoire. Usually yeah. the earlier stuff is the best. Absolutely. Um, well, I think you came up, it came out great. Thank were you. you Thank were you, you happy with it? I was happy that I finally did a Bruce cover on okay. my YouTube channel. I mean, I had yeah. done plenty in the bands. I mean, I, I, you know, played a whole bunch of them. We had a huge repertoire, including many, many Bruce songs, but this is the first time that I've covered one on my channel. And uh, I would say that for sure, I could have done better for sure. And I always feel that about anything that I put out, whether it's a dad joke or a cover song or a behind the scenes, I always know that I can do better, but that's why I do content is because I want to get better. And that's when I started doing my series of uh, watch me grow. That's a popular hashtag on TikTok. Yeah. So I just adopted it and I'm like, playing piano, learning new chords on the guitar, slap bass, um, drums, you know, little paradiddles and uh, rudiments. And I'm sharing that to show people, yeah, I suck at this. And I'm going to practice it and I'm going to get better. You know, another good friend of mine is a guy named Tom Zoller. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. He um, is an, he's an artist and he, uh, by the way, he, one of his most popular comic strips are, Love and Capes. It's a superhero sitcom, and right now he's doing he's doing a version of um, set in his world with COVID nineteen and how um, it affects you know the people in his world. It's he's a brilliant artist and a great guy, but he's always talked about he'll never get a tattoo because he knows <laughs> he would have to be art he drew, and there's never been anything he drew that six months later he wasn't disappointed in and wants to redo it <laughs> and so uh, that's you, <laughs> right like he says i could never get a tattoo because it would have to be mine and i know i would not be happy with it when it gets over so that's good um what are other songs you're percolating on I, uh, I go to this site frequently called uh, Music Map, I think is okay. the name. I don't know the exact address. And it's great because you can enter the name of a band. You enter Bruce Springsteen, and it shows you artists like that search okay. term. Uh, other artists that share something in common, musically or whatever. Uh -huh. And that's a good resource for me because it introduces me to musicians that I know the name, but I don't really know their stuff. Um, I did a Joe Jackson cover that... I heard a million years ago and I totally forgot about it. I'm like, I love this song. And I, yeah. the only reason I did Joe Jackson's because of that music map. I started with right. Van Morrison or something like that. And it led me down okay. this road. Another thing that helps me too, is when I go, uh, I, I always go on Wikipedia as we all do mm -hmm. uh, to learn about, you know, new stuff. And when I go to a, a band or a song or a group, I always like to try and find out, especially if it's a group, who was the, who was the real songwriter in the band? Right. And Wikipedia is great for that because it'll tell you the name of the song and you click the link and it'll tell you who actually wrote the damn thing. Right. And so, for instance, someone, I don't know, was it Phil Collins or I can't remember what whose page I was on, only to discover that a song that I was so happy about, I thought this is going to be a song that I do, wasn't written by them at all. I'm like, oh, well, then it's not going to be on my list because I don't want to pay tribute to someone covering it. I'm the one right. covering it. Exactly. I want to pay tribute to the songwriter. That's the whole mm -hmm. point of, of that segment of my show. So it's really about trying to find the perfect mix between slightly undiscovered country song-wise, because it's not the ultimate pent, you know, pent yeah. uh, ultimate, ultimate hit. I'm just trying to 
Sounds smart there. It's not no. about their greatest hit. And it's also has to be written by them, not by some unknown artist. And sometimes I discover an unknown to me, yeah. songwriter, producer, artist, and so-and-so was from uh, Great Britain and uh, moved yeah. to, you know, to Texas and became a, a huge guitarist and fan of Stevie Ray. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to cover one of his songs. Then I got to also keep in mind, if no one's ever heard of it, well, yeah. maybe it's not the best song to cover, but if it's that good, then for sure. One of the first songs I ever covered was Marty Robbins, El Paso. Yeah. And I love that song. I've always loved it. But I had never did it with my cover bands because I thought it's too cheesy to do a cover of Marty Robbins. And I thought now in these days, older Tebow, I'm like, no, it's not cheesy. You just have to do it the yeah, right way. Embrace it. Yeah. And that's when I'm starting to realize, like, you've got to be, if you're going to be an artist, you can't just do what's right. you got to do you. And I'm learning that every single day. I'm having a difficult time uh, on certain days. And on other days, it just flows like water. <laughs> it depends on the, on the week. <laughs> so, Thibaut, um, how about your own music? What do you, you said you're working, you're, you're, uh, you're collaborating with other artists. Talk a little bit about your own music. Okay. Yeah, we froze up a little bit. Talk about, Tebow. talk about your own music. You were mentioning that you are working on with other artists and other writers. Talk about your own music. Well, um, I, like I told you, I always wanted to be a drummer when I was a younger man and decided that uh, one of the first things I did in this project studio would be to put in a drum kit in a drum room. And sure enough, that fellow that I talked about at the beginning of this show, uh, Steve Cefaloni, my drummer friend from the East End of Montreal, he was the drummer of that very first cover band that I was a part of back in the day. And he still plays drums today. Uh, and he has dabbled recently in the art of crafting drums. And okay. so on a very uh, impassioned, uh, uh, wine-soaked and booze-soaked uh, Zoom call early in pandemic, or just before pandemic, actually, um, we all just joked at the idea of Steve building me a drum kit. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he did it. And wow. uh, from scratch, he built me a custom, small, simple, not the most expensive or elaborate parts, yeah. but certainly better than anything that I would be buying with my budget. Um, so, of course, That's I paid awesome. him for it, and he gave me a killer price. He says, listen, I'll, you know, I'm going to charge you for the for the parts, a little bit of labor, because it took me some time. I'm like, hey, dude, you built me a freaking drum kit. Yeah. yeah, of course I'm going to pay you. So I scrounged stuff, sold a kidney, and paid him. Because, like, yeah, you got to respect that. So that was the first uh, piece of the, of the project studio. And then, of course, my dad's guitars and a few of my own and the bass. And so I decided that, you know, I have no more excuses. I'm going to be a multi-instrumentalist. Uh, multi um, in my years preceding Tebow Vision, I discovered Jacob Collier, who is an incredibly talented young man who is a multi-instrumentalist, but to the most epic degree. He is pitch perfect, plays everything like flawlessly, everything, all 153 instruments that he owns one of the best musicians I've ever experienced or seen or, or listened to. And I thought in some small way, I'm going to pay tribute to that because I do play drums and bass and guitar. And I don't want to feel like I'm showing off. I just want to have fun doing what I love. And that's when I started to realize I have to practice. I suck at drums. I suck at lead guitar. I suck at backup vocals. So I'm like, well, stop making excuses. Just practice, do it. And that's, where I started writing songs 
I think it's Ed Sheeran that uh, I saw an interview with him. He pointed out, he says, your first song is like, you know, it's going to suck. It's like pancakes. The first one's never good. Yeah. And you just have to keep at it. He says, your hundredth song is going to be epic. And I'm like, right. yeah, that's I like the, that. the ticket. So I just like, I started writing knowing full well that this one's going to suck, but I'm going to have so much fun playing it. I'm going to do it. And uh, it, it turns out that now I, I'm writing songs that I'm actually proud of. And like your tattoo friend in six months, it's going to be crap. But right now, that's good. <laughs> that's good. So I'm slowly creating a repertoire of 24 original songs in a project that I'm, uh, that I'm uh, doing to sort of have one song for each hour of the 24 hour cycle. Oh, nice. Um, and it's kind of starts at, uh, it starts at midnight in the pub with a Celtic rocker that I call pretty Shannon. And it's about uh, just a bunch of guys, you know, that are in the pub and, uh, they're all joking about the protagonist who falls in love with someone way out of his league, pretty Shannon. And sure enough, he gets the girl, got to tell a, a happy ending because that's the way you start a good story. Yeah. And then it leads into some more uh, sort of uh, psychedelic stuff, Pink Floyd influenced, you know, uh, sort of a uh, little bit uh, the dreamscape of 1am, 2am, nice. 3am. So all my behind the scenes are going into detail about how I'm coming up with these songs uh, and how I'm approaching the writing process and all the different parts. Uh, I wrote a song for the 1 a.m. It's called, um, it's, uh, I can't even remember the name of it. It's called Before We Go. So it's about having one more before we go and a bunch yeah. of promises that, we, that we're never going to, you know, do the plans that we came up with when they're in a drunken stupor. And I, one of the behind the scenes that I did, uh, I'm just laughing. I, I couldn't stop laughing because I thought, what a better way to end the song than with a bunch of rowdy drunks leaving the bar. Yeah. So I'm recording me with me, with me, with me being drunk and disorderly so that I can have this outro of the song. So anyway, that's, that's the nature of the project. I'm and on right those, now. Uh, is it available now or are you still working on it? Yeah. Well, all these, the, the, no songs are released yet, but now is when it begins uh, starting, I think as early as February is when I'm going to be um, actually publishing the songs. And I'm still sort of figuring out how that all works. Cause I want to make sure that, it's not really about selling the songs. I just want them to be available so people can listen to them and consume them and enjoy them uh, and putting video with those songs. So okay. it's going to, it's going to be on the YouTube channel and, you know, uh, Spotify and uh, iTunes and all that, but it's, it's, they're not available yet. They're coming soon. <laughs> so uh, listeners to pull the curtain back it's January 11th as we're recording this. And I usually have, three or four weeks in advance so this will probably be out in february but i'm going to put you on the spot now all right tebow when you're ready to release it you got to come back and we'll do I'm an episode just talking about that and to help promote it how's that sound jesse man if it wasn't for pandemic and the fact that you're in texas and i'm in montreal i would totally give you a hug right now bro that well, is awesome nice. i will Good. Uh, thank you and i'm humbled and i i appreciate that i will t definitely take you up on that offer that sounds great all right what should i have asked you that i didn't <laughs> you said to me does mary get in the car at the end yes of the song? that's that's uh, that's road. yep that's the before we get to that is there anything else is there any other stories or you want to save some for the next time we visit you more about you because i'm definitely generally curious to know more about mr jesse um, okay 
I find that you're a fascinating guy, and uh, but I know that that's not the nature of the show. <laughs> you're well, the one you know what? Questions. Anytime you want, you can come on and you can ask me questions. Well, so I might we have to do. ask if I can interview you at one point. I don't know how you'd be. Uh, how you'd I'd love that. that. Be a time, but uh, I'd love I, that. I that would be right a lot of fun. Yeah, that'd be a that'd be a lot of fun. You know, my buddy Bob did that. Um, he uh, assumed the juxtaposition, and um, the premise is he has a guest come on but they become the host and they talk about whatever they want. So yes, I would love that. If you want to interview me sometime, we can do that. Uh, that would, I would be honored. 100%. All right. So we've already got a, two more episodes planned. You're going to come back and interview me. And then we're going to talk about the, the cycle, the 24 hour. sounds like a blast, man. I'm all over that. I love all it. All right. That's and, great. and we have gone over an hour as I promised you we would every time I have someone. I'm I sorry, love man. No, it's, no, this is like great. Midnight for you. We're already now Tuesday, bro. No, no, we're, we're great. All right. Yes. Uh, let me give the background. For those of you who may have never heard the show, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. He just recently retired, but uh, before he retired every year, they would take Thunder Road and break it apart as a poem. His seniors would go through all the lyrics. They would go through the imagery. They would compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. They would go through every twist and turn. At the end of the class, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? So Tebow, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car? After seeing the faces on all of those drunken pub goers, on those many nights doing covers and playing that song is the finale of our show and watching the, the, just the impassioned energy and hope always wished. And as I was singing the lyric, always wished, yes, she would definitely get in the car, but she gets in the car and then it goes segues right into the river. Yes. That's where the story goes. It's I, never think that, happy <laughs> I think that is a fair, fair ending. And I think that's a fair answer. Uh, all right, Tebow, tell us how to find you. If we want to, uh, if people want to hear your music, if they want to reach you, what's the best way? Well, the best place I would send people is to tebovision.com, T-E-B-O-Vision.com. All of the stuff that has to do with my various interests is there. But it's definitely got links on the homepage to all my social media. So anyone who's into Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or Instagram or even, you know, uh, LinkedIn, they'll be able to find the right link to, to get in touch with you there. And I always look forward to meeting, you know, people with a passion or that are thinking about maybe I should explore my passion, but I don't really know if it's OK to do that. Well, uh, you know, hopefully some of them get their message out there to share who they really are. And I got to say, man, I'm so happy to have met you. Uh, Jesse, you're a stand-up guy. And I really appreciate this, man. I got to say thank you in true Canadian way. Um, but I look forward to our future encounters, man. And uh, maybe we'll talk again soon. I hope, that, I hope that you'll have me back on. And I will definitely look forward to having you on my show as well, bro. Absolutely. I, I absolutely would love that. I, I think this is great. And this was so much fun. I knew it'd be. I'm going to have to send a thank you note to Ken. Uh, yeah. I will probably tweet that right as soon as we end this. I'm going to send a, <laughs> Ken a tweet. Thank you Thank for you, all Ken. this. Yes, for all that do. Uh, hang tight while I do a little business. All right, you listeners, um, please take care of yourself. Uh, be safe. Wash your hands. Remember to social distance. Wear an effing mask. Uh, be good to yourselves. Uh, we The only way we're going to get through this is by being good to each other. And thank you for listening. And we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye.
This podcast would not be possible without the love and support of my listeners and specifically my patrons. Thank you very much to Levi Petrie, Elizabeth Bronson, Stephen Malio, Holly Mack, Steve Rogers, Dale Hosick, Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, and Mary Thomas. Thank you all for your support. It is greatly appreciated. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.